0: Hi I'm
1: Abby. and I'm Jess
0: and you're listening to Did The Reading. We did the reading so you don't have to. Uh, Jess what did we read this week?
1: This week we are looking at The Catcher in the Rye.
0: Fabulous but before we get on to that what have you been up to this
1: week? Um, good question. I've been I've hit kind of peak laziness probably as a result of the rain Mm-hmm. But I think that's also just an excuse. I've watched a lot of films and a lot of TV. I've started Succession. is any I've good. Very good. I've had a lot of people be like, this is very much your vibe. You should watch it. And having watched three episodes, I'm not really sure what to make of those comments. <laughs> but <laughs> it is very good. I like a nightmare trying to find it online. In the end, have succumbed to purchasing it mm-hmm. on Amazon Video, which I'm slightly bitter about. But mm-hmm. it is very good. Um, what about you? How's the skateboarding
0: going? The skateboarding, I'm making slow progress. It was quite embarrassing this morning because I was out out on the board, surfing the streets, um, and I was, like, skating along, and I thought I saw some neighbours behind me who I knew, so I was like, oh, got to try and keep it together because it would be super embarrassing, like, you know, if anything happened. And then I basically fell off the board about five times in three metres, and I was like, ooh, Oh, it's really embarrassing. But anyway, they weren't people I knew, so it was quite lucky. But the whole thing is not going well, I've got to be honest with you. I got I got some acrylic paints oh. before the weekend. So I did some painting for that. Turned out some, you know, very generic teenage girl type drawings. And then my dad came home and very generously was like, oh, those look nice. And I was like, oh, you're welcome. You can put them
1: up in your office. And he was like, uh um that's very generous Abigail um you could combine your two loves and you know personalize your skateboard just a suggestion for this week's project
0: exactly and isn't that the kind of thing Holden Caulfield would do in Catcher in the Rye it's definitely a possibility so before we start the main sort of corpus of the podcast. Uh, should we talk about what the book is actually about? Do you want me uh, to describe
1: it or do you want to? Um you did last week so I will have a crack at this one. Well cracking um, then. <laughs> please don't say that. Um, okay, so this is Catcher in the Rye. Our narrator and <laughs> our narrator and main character is Holden Caulfield and he Essentially, the whole book is like a weekend in New York, but um, written from a kind of undisclosed location somewhere in like California and like a bit later. So essentially, it starts by him being like, oh, I'm not even going to tell you that much just about some shit that went down a while ago over the, over a weekend. And he basically, if we skim over this very lightly, he like just runs away from school. Um like heads into New York, kind of has a lot of like phone calls and weird drinks with like a bunch of people from his past, including like old teachers, old semi girlfriends at one point kind of like friends of his siblings or like siblings of his friends, and kind of does all sorts of things wonders why all the ducks are missing from Central Park. there's like a lot of going on, but essentially it I don't know how to round it up <laughs> stop doing. A I <laughs>
0: It was it was stunning up until then. I think basically it just like rounds up. He like goes and sees his sister. He's like, my life. I don't know what I'm doing. And they like go to the carousel at the zoo, and he sees her on the carousel, the carousel, the carousel, and he's like this is what it is to be happy. It's like innocence because he spent the whole book being like, everything's fake. And then the kind of final epilogue kind of sees him possibly in treatment. That's the like possible yeah. suggestion. Um, or just hanging out. Yeah. So
1: Thank this you. was,
0: yeah. Well, you're welcome. Uh, this was my first time reading it. Was it yours? Uh,
1: it was not. I read it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say I feel like when I first read it I was like wow this is a really I was like wow I really get why this is a classic it's like I can see how it would like speak to this that and the other and I feel like reading it again I'm like he's kind of (laughs) he's like really irritating like I feel like as I get older I'm gonna find him more and more of like a dick basically but I think that kind of I mean like two years isn't that big a gap especially when like the main kind of themes of it are being stuck in this kind of limbo state between childhood and like what you expect adulthood to be. So Mm. I think that's kind of the same, but yes, I've now read it twice.
0: I've got to be honest. And like, this is so embarrassing, but I, so I had never read it. And the reason why I had been putting off reading it was because I had for no conceivable reason convinced myself that this was a book about like farming in (laughs) America And I was like, I don't know how much I care about, like, this random,
1: like, farming story. And... (laughs) I see that, to be fair. I feel like I could, like, very generously be, like, as, like, a... It's heralded as, like, an American classic in a very similar way to, like, The Grapes of Wrath or whatever. So I feel like you could very easily... And that is a very dry book, predominantly about agriculture. (laughs) So I feel like... Maybe that's where I, like, got confused. Because I was, like,
0: talking to Iris about this, and obviously... um, iris grew up and continues to live in the states and she was like what do you mean (laughs) and i was like i don't even know anymore like i don't know genuinely how i got that so set in my mind but reading it now i think the thing is that is mysterious about it is the first like i don't know 100 pages or so i was like oh yeah i'm vibing this is good this is a fun good time Mm. um and the more i read of it the more i was like this is exhausting and it's weird that I found it so like exhausting and so unrewarding when I do like books that have a lot of resonances with it. So I'm not yeah. quite sure why, if for me, it had such a, I had such a negative response to it. But anyway, let me save yeah. that because uh, you already know that I'm going to uh, turn the recorder on. And my first question actually allows us to consider this issue in more detail. If you had to write a GCSE essay about this, what would you compare it to and why?
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: Um... I I know I did this to you last week. And then I was like, I went away and I was like, another great question from me. And so now...
1: <laughs> have you done that nice thing where you put me on the spot and you've already got a couple prepared?
0: I, I have, actually. Do you want me to give you mine and I you can you reflect? <laughs> okay, so if it was going to be a GCSE essay, you'd have to do like kind of other similar kind of odyssey like coming of age type shit like the bell jar i think would probably be a relatively good fit yeah um but in terms of stuff that is very close in fit but isn't necessarily so classic i would have put in ferris bueller's day out for me day off day out i don't think you know it it's uh actually the superior version uh (laughs) he is released for 24 hours (laughs) um He was later imprisoned and they let him out. (laughs) Um, And then also Fight Club.
1: Okay, I see both of those. I like these. Reeling off the pop culture references today. I Um, know.
0: I can't be stopped. Tell
1: me more about why you've picked those.
0: The reason why I picked Ferris Bueller was that I do think it kind of looks at that thing of being a cool teen and trying to break free from the constraints of society and what you see as like fake or unnecessary strictures imposed upon you mm-hmm. and the reason why i picked fight club was that i think there's quite a lot of that which appeals to this feeling of being different from the rest of society and wanting to impose change in whatever way possible but i think it's weird because i loved fight club not to sound like uh, <laughs> every teenage boy ever i thought fight club was actually very good uh, shout out to Chai Planec. Um if you're listening I oh love your book <laughs> um, but I thought that perhaps the reason why I liked Fight Club more is because even though the thinking and attitude is consistent throughout Fight Club it is verbally and in terms of events Inconsistent, like there is a lot of change in this development in the narrative. Whereas Catcher in the Rye, he goes from one drink to another drink to another drink to another drink to another drink, to another drink and all he talks about is his ex roommates and uses the word phony around 700 times per page. Oh, genuinely, that was and the main know-
1: thing I remember. Like, I feel like when I first read it, I read it like I think I got it for Christmas and I read it in genuinely like a day, and mm. I just was like, ah, oh, what are the main things we got from this? And it was like, He calls everything and everyone a phony and also does a lot of like i'm not even gonna tell you about this and then tells you about it me
0: but yeah and also that bit where he's got this kind of like verbal ticket going like it really is or i really do think or you know she's a great girl she really is you know like yeah and it's like at first you're like oh yeah I, he's an emphatic guy and then you're like just he's, an emphatic guy. he's just an emphatic guy <laughs> just um, loves the rhetoric me too
1: what the hell um do you have any comparisons you would like to share i would just like to reiterate i do feel put on the spot um i'm just thinking i think yeah i just heard but rejected thank you um <laughs> Shit HR department. Um, I think if you yeah, the Bell Jar was one of the first ones I thought of, or if you pick, doesn't he even reference in like the very first bit he's like, oh, I'm not gonna talk about any of that like David Copperfield shit. Like I feel Mm -hmm. if you picked a very classic, like you say, like coming of age story and kind of looked at the ways in which like David Copperfield or even like I don't know if Great Expectations was work as well, but you know what I mean? Like a very kind of seminal Mm -hmm. text. Mm And then look to the ways in which, because I think for Holden, a lot of it is very like he purposefully distances himself from everyone around him. And then is like, I feel quite alone, which I yeah. don't mean to like belittle that because that's like a really central and probably like quite resonant aspect of the text. But I feel like that's a very particular way of negotiating, like, moving into adulthood uh comparable or like would sit nicely alongside other like more traditional ones where it's like finding your place in the world kind of thing yeah Um, and i
0: actually just as you were talking it kind of reminded me as well like we've we talked about robinson crusoe and like definitions of masculinity and stuff mm -hmm. i'm not sure if we talked about that last week or the week before and i do think that as well is an interesting way of looking at it where it's like is it about like rejections of um gender roles in a way like to refuse to uh you know take things on sight is that like a kind of undermining of a traditional masculinity yeah. which you're sort of equally seeing in other texts like robinson crusoe which seek to sort of set out a more independent capitalist or you know like which have sort of seminally shifted mm-hmm. how we view what a man is
1: yeah because I think you could also, depending on what you compared it to, like, say, for argument's sake, you did take the bell jar, it would be interesting to see, like, are these, like, emotions, experiences, relationships part of growing up, or are they part of, for want of a better phrase, becoming a man, or are they part of, do you know what I mean? Like, how yeah. cut along gender lines are they? Yeah, completely. Um, because there is, like, an aspect of, like, this is seen as, like, a universal... I keep using the phrase coming of age, but like a universal growing up story, but like mm-hmm. it, is a, it is a boy. So, it like, is gendered, to what yeah. can you universalize it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: yeah. We've, we've overrun. I think oh we've got God. to move on to our next five minutes. Otherwise, it's, we're going to be overwhelmed. <laughs> this is your one. So, I will let you start on it. And it is Is it a classic? And if so, why?
1: Okay. Well, this leads on very nicely from what we were just talking about, because I feel like often, um, I mean, like, it is a classic in the sense of, like, people refer to it as a classic. It always crops up on those, like, 100 books to read before you die, like kind of thing. Um, I don't <laughs> the know only why way I do to that tell a classic <laughs> is, uh,
0: whether or not it turns up on one of those reading lists. Otherwise, exclude it from the canon. Like, okay. I've never
1: in heard. my defence, <laughs> um, those are the kind of books where people are, like, um, they – they have longevity, and people assume that they have like enough impact and are universal enough to be uh, like appealing to a wide audience. Is where yeah. I was. Is the. No, I, t- I take your basis. <laughs> what I say, but then there are so many questions around that. So like, a the question of how universal. I like if you can universalize a story about like. Uh, boy growing up in like pretty specific circumstances in america like i would refer to it as like an american classic more than like the english literature canon classic yeah. Yeah. um in the same way that the slightly faded <laughs> grapes of wrath is also like a very kind of it's very like specifically american and very specific like american masculinity mm-hmm. um but yes essentially i wanted to hear your thoughts on this abby do you think it has i mean like when was it published it has like enough 1951 yeah so the fact that we're still reading it to some extent kind of answers our own question but Um, more broadly like what do you think defines a classic and do you think this fulfills those
0: that's a big question for about two minutes i think (laughs) uh i think it does in terms of the fact that it neatly captures something about that experience of there's like this line in a Mae martin comedy sketch and she says something along the lines of like being an adolescent is like being able to peel back the wallpaper of reality and you suddenly feel like you're seeing underneath that nothing is really the way it is because it has to be that way but because people have made it that way and i feel like that is like exactly what this is and it kind of yeah it captures that but I think like what a classic is is something that tells us something new about the human experience in a really unique way that lots of people can relate to basically or does something new with language or does something new with structure and while it doesn't do anything particularly like out there with any of like a kind of a structural or linguistic perspective I think it is unusual in you know how clearly it kind of rejects Social norms. I suppose social norms is a bit strong, maybe, because I mean he is still operating from a privileged perspective. Say, like, for example, the book is banned, uh, or the book has been banned in a lot of places for you know the swearing, for sure. uh, references to you know LGBT characters, for references to underage drinking, for references to rule breaking, and mm-hmm. yet those are a lot of those things are universal experiences. And yet this actually puts it down on paper in such a way that it is compelling enough that we have to react to it. Like that it forces response. I suppose like it's taken me ages to get to the point which is effectively a classic is something that we have no choice but to respond to because it captures something so eloquently and elegantly that we haven't heard before put down in words. And I think that is what it is.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Like I think the reason why... It resonates with so many people is like you say it puts words to that that image of peeling back the wallpaper is really really interesting because I think it's that whole thing like um any film or story about like a 17 18 year old girl always really just like gut punches me and I don't quite get mm. why but like you know when it's done well like something like Lady Bird or like even Booksmart
0: Booksmart like, definitely
1: it does it so well in terms of just kind of that who who said it once I feel like someone once was like I feel like when you're 17 is when you like first realize that the world is like you say not exactly like you expected or is just kind of fundamentally like a bit of a shit place and like 17 18 years old is when you start to like realize that so then yeah works of art that articulate that in a better way than I just did which is <laughs> <pretty> cool Um <laughs> tend to be like universally uh, appealing.
0: Why do we care about where the ducks in Central Park go? Okay. And that was mine. I've got to confess to it. Do you want to launch Uh, at this one? (laughs) Well, I think the thing, the reason I wrote it down was quite honestly because I was not sure. And I suppose in a way it's about like consistency Mm -hmm. and about Needing to know where everything is and needing to know that things are in order, but also the fact that there are so many things in the adults, in inverted commas, world that go unexplained. Yes. And that people, ever everyone accepts that that is the way things have to be. And yet, I mean, like, I'm putting these in such generalized phrasings, I would get absolutely ripped for this if this was an essay. But, um, but as in, like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, the ducks just leave. But actually, you know, why do they... Why do they leave? Where do they go? Like, why do we never get that explained? Yeah. And why is that just uh, kind of universally understood as it has to be that way? I suppose that is, it just kind of links back to that constant feeling of having to undermine the phoniness, in inverted commas, I will stop saying in inverted commas, um, of the real world, I guess. I don't know. What do you think?
1: No, no, I agree. I think the, uh, like, like you say you can go for the kind of grand sweeping gestures of like oh that's something seasonal and cyclical that he is holding on to in the face of this horribly speedy but also kind of too slow linear process of glowing glowing up glow up
0: <laughs> all right holden jesus christ Oh, growing up. Like he's not afraid to use
1: it yeah exactly jesus um oh i've lost my children <laughs> okay
0: yeah sorry the linear process of growing up
1: Yeah, and so then he's holding on to this kind of like whatever happens, he can go back every kind of summer or whatever and see the ducks, and then they will go again in winter, and that's something certain. But then you've also got the aspect of, like you say, what the key element of it is that those taxi drivers like get increasingly irritated with him being like, please leave me alone and stop asking about these ducks. And I think the kind of key aspect of youth in terms of like that questioning everything like you know when you have like a toddler and they just keep asking you why or they're like they just question everything and you're like actually I don't know the answers to any of these things like you say just because they're like accepted parts of your everyday reality yeah. that's like the hurdle that he Holden is finding most difficult to cross
0: no I do think I think it's really interesting um I think the cyclical kind of temporal nature is nice i think also i suppose you could bring it back to that thing where it's like it's a notable absence where like you're beginning to see this like transition where there are things that are missing from what you thought of as reality like he thinks of the ducks as part of central park but they're no longer there so what is there like nothing is always as it should be you know like i suppose that's just another way of thinking about it but
1: I i agree
0: yeah I feel this one naturally finishes here, so I shall finish it here. I shan't shan't even care about my timer. Okay, I thought this was actually a really sick point. It was from um, a New Yorker article, and it says, The character in The Rye is a sympathetic portrait of a boy who refuses to be socialised, which has become a standard instrument of socialisation. And it's from Louis Maynard in The New Yorker. Please don't get me for a copyright violation. Um, Anyway, the point that he was making in the article was that Holden's whole shtick, if I can call it that, which he would hate, um, is that he isn't like other boys and he's refusing to be uh, socialised into adulthood. But now that Catcher in the Rye has become a classic reading Catcher in the Rye and the act of consuming it has become a part of growing up and particularly as well that now it is quite regularly taught as a school book. um, It becomes like a kind of, it becomes part of essential reading. It becomes part of strictures of learning, which is something that he through the whole book is running against. So is there a certain irony in the fact that our consumption of it is so I mean, even if you think about this, not to become super meta, I mean, we're basically reading it to fit in with the confines of a podcast to appeal to people who like podcasts, shout out, which in which in itself is a kind of, like, stricted form of consumption. Like, it's hardly radical, is it, to be reading Catcher in the Rye for uh, our uni friends, shout out.
1: But yeah, I mean, what do you yeah. think? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you mean, because it's that kind of weird like if you want to frame it as a radical book and we take that as granted especially like given what do you say it was 1951 yeah. publication context yeah. then I think it's that kind of weird double bind almost of it being like oh is it only a radical book if like not that many people read it or is the fact that it's like reached so many people and become integrated into like curriculums and things like you say is that a success or is it kind of then the fact that it's in a curriculum, if we stick with that example, does that deny it it's kind of
0: I suppose even the arguably, is the book trying to be radical or is the book trying to be trying to be true to a feeling of being radical when you're that age? And the reality is, even though it feels radical, it is such a universal experience that there is no way we can conceive it as radical. Like, the fact that the book has that much popularity, that somebody on Sparknotes can be writing up themes, alienation, like, very <laughs> much demonstrates that, you know, like... I'm so many- Sparknotes. I- <sighs> exactly, same. Like, it's not an unusual experience. And it feels radical because he says, God damn, a couple of times. And uh, mm. it's like, I drank a scotch and soda and such like. Yeah. But it's not unusual. It's an unusual representation and unusual demonstration but is it any wonder that it should be have become an instrument of socialization when it's more a reflection of a process of socialization than the instrument itself do you know yeah. is that
1: no i think I, I understand but it's also an element of like it's what 70 years old now so there's yeah. kind of like an element of like it would almost be anachronistic to be calling it to be like saying that it's like failing and being radical but uh, I think...
0: And I think even it's interesting that they use the term sympathetic, because I'm not sure that it even... For me, it didn't feel super sympathetic. I mean, obviously we get it in his own words, but I think to a certain extent there is a sense where the socialisation, the fact that he's he's looking back on it, we see the inherent flaws in his ways of thinking.
1: Yeah, I think and that's also fact... in... Oh, yeah, oh, okay. sorry.
0: Sorry, it was just my time ago. I was only saying that because, you know, the fact that he literally says at the end, like, my psychoanalyst says X, you know, very much points out that that is not a sustainable way of thinking, not only in terms of mental health, but also in terms of existing within society. So does it, like, is the narrative itself an instrument of socialisation because it does ultimately bring us back to a point of conformity whereby that kind of thinking is shown to be normal, but ultimately need to Like not sustainable. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: But then I think that's interesting in terms of, if I think about the two times I've read it, um, like when I, I feel like the younger you are when you read it, the less ironic or like the the less space there is for an ironic reading and then as you get older and perhaps even like enacting that process of socialization yourself you then look at it and see like oh no this is actually a book of a book that shows the flaws and in like unsustainability which i don't think is a word um of this kind of thinking or living Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. perhaps
0: perhaps okay this is yours what's up with the title
1: okay yeah I mean can you answer the question I don't know if I can I mean I... there's like obvious answer but then I just feel like see
0: I think the when I earlier in the book I was still thinking uh you know who's catching that rye? um and <laughs> <Bob-y-all>. <laughs> I sort of thought obviously obviously there's the bit about him and the the kids and saving them catching them you know and it's mm-hmm. like a metaphor for protecting kids from adult experience you know the innocence versus experience william blake kunan yeah. drum which i had actually meant to bring up earlier but i forgot to not least because i hate songs of innocence and experience but um i also wondered about the fact that ali obviously has only left his catching mitt with the poetry on it which becomes <laughs> this like kind of consistent symbol of like this idealized childhood and perfect creativity and the fact that that's the only thing we've got of him he is this perfect child because he will never become an adult he will never be socialized into this kind of superficiality and fakeness and so the fact that there is that catcher uh that was what i saw as the original catching motif sure but i don't know if that's a particularly like useful in point but that was sort of how i'd first read it what about you
1: no i think that works because there is the element of um not to bring dickens into it again but there is i the, wish you wouldn't I, well <sighs> now i'm even more driven to do exactly that <laughs> but there is that um like because uh, ali dies as a child like that innocence and perfection is preserved and there's that idea of um oh, what's the name of it the like philosophical idea that you're born perfect basically and then only like the opposite of original sin um and the reference which we won't dwell on to songs of innocence and experience um but i think i don't really know i think like deeper than the poetic reference i think it is just a setting up of that central theme of kind of like innocence lost and the fight against it i guess which is inevitably lost i don't know it's kind of weird because it's not like he's in setting himself up as a catcher in the right he's saying that he's almost he's already like past childhood but he's going to do his Mm. best to help others i don't know to sustain it or to to sustain the elements that he wishes he still had I
0: think there are like two points there because i think obviously uh, you know for him to be a catcher he's separated from the kids playing like he can't ever be you know he, he's not one of them and he uh, he doesn't face that loss he knows that loss exists but he's resting on the precipice <laughs> um the oh, other thing is that <laughs> i was like i've got to use the word precipice but uh i don't know how to play that off in a cool way anyway like, i'm too deep
1: in the metaphor
0: the other thing that I really wanted, I had thought about last night, and I was like, gotta wrangle that in there, was um, it reminded me of this thing. I can't remember who the author of it is, but the theory, the like marionette theory, where it's like, you know, uh, when you're young and you do something the first time, there's a kind of perfect innocence in it, and there's that kind of like grace of just uh, doing stuff for play doing stuff without mm-hmm. meaning and the more you practice it even if you kind of perfectly imitated that action and movement again for example through dance or through drawing or through art you will never recapture it because the kind of sentiments behind it are not there and I okay. might be massively you know mistranslating that theory but that is what I remember from a talk I attended last year <laughs> anyway um, I sort of feel like that is also like a super interesting thing isn't it because for him to even say i want to be a catcher in the rye is in itself quite contrived like it's not like he's just saying i want to be a child again sorry i'm going to stop that so i can uh, carry on with this point um he's like i don't want to it's not just like i want to be a child again it's like imagine a scenario uh, which i just <laughs> thought up in the moment i'm gonna be catching these kids and i don't know where i'm gonna be doing maybe maybe a rye field is. All right, Holden. If Catcher in the Rye was written today, what would it look like? Oh, dear. And I had half written this one, but I will hand it over to you because I know you had some ideas about if Holden Caulfield cool was on Twitter or Instagram. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, initially I was like, oh, his Twitter account would be hilarious. And I was like, no, I don't think he'd even have a Twitter account because he'd only... Join social media to like share things. And I feel like Twitter's too interactive. <laughs> so he'd just have one of those really rogue Instagram accounts, which is very much like, you're all welcome for following me. And would just post very weird photos of like niche areas of New York. I feel like that's mm-hmm. the kind of vibe he'd be going for. Yeah. Um, either with like extremely long, weird captions or with none at all. He'd be like, you don't even deserve my words.
0: Um, Agreed. I but, yes. I very much feel that's the case. I feel like if you had a Twitter, it would be like the guy in your
1: MFA Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness me! Side note: Just if do you follow the Spark Notes account on Twitter? They have some oh, fantastic no, Catcher in the Rye content. But
0: I will anyway. immediately follow that up. There's a I, great uh...
1: like, Parks and Reference. Parks and Reference. Parks and <laughs> Parks and,
0: parks and, and reference. reference one. <laughs> I think also, if it was written today, like, I feel like it wouldn't be a classic. Because who cares about more disaffected youths? This is true. I'm just
1: thinking, like, in terms of the central themes of it, in terms of, like, what was that one you, like, slightly blithely referenced earlier? Like, isolation and um, kind of, Alienation? Alienation, that was the one. Yeah, Yeah, like a kind of like disenfranchisement kind of approach. I feel like that's, there's, compared to 1950, we live in quite like a more complex, um, culturally speaking, world. I feel like if you had this book now and
0: you were having to deal with issues of what it meant to be a young person and what the challenges were growing up, I think that the story that continues to need to be told is about you know uh young people of color trans kids lgbt children Mm uh children with disabilities those stories haven't been told and there hasn't been an opportunity to discuss so widely and yeah. I think that is where the space now exists for that kind of story. So I feel like if it existed today, we wouldn't be looking at Holden Caulfield. We'd be looking at a completely different kind of protagonist. And yeah. I think it'd be interesting. But I still think it, that kind of story today would continue to be radical because I think there are still a lot of, I don't know.
1: No, I know what you mean. I think when we're asking what would this story look like if it was written today, we're asking we're thinking of what kind of space it filled when it was first written and what that space looks like now. Yeah. And like you say, that's been completely shifted and that kind of that radical quote unquote, we keep using <laughs> <laughs> that idea of like a radical, um, almost like unveiling or being like, this is one person's experience, but actually they can speak to this universal truth, so to speak. Like, I think that, that method of storytelling is still very much relevant, but like you say, it's coming from a different narrator.
0: Okay, so our last one, let me set the timer for this one, is gonna be Would Holden be fun at parties?
1: My immediate reaction is no. Okay. Um bold. Well, I just think he'd be that person like brooding in the kitchen with some sort of like obscure drink, being like trying to force people to like either talk about philosophy or being like, actually, I'm better than everyone here. Oh my gosh. Which isn't a very party vibe. It's not very fun. I think he would,
0: it would either be that or he'd get a couple of drinks in him and like that scene with Luce, he'd be like, I need to know all the gossip right now. Right now, yeah. and but you'd be like, "Oh, uh, I'm still on uh, my first beverage, and <laughs> I'm gonna need you to step it back about eighteen steps."
1: I feel like he would like for those people that the at the start of the party is incredibly boring, and then mm-hmm. there's a tip between maybe like drink three and four, and then he's just yep. very suddenly aggressively like trying to make everyone play Never Have I Ever or oh, like.
0: My God propose literally. a game
1: of beer pong when like everyone does not want to do that or yes. trying to make people play like truth or dare when we're all 22 do you know what i mean
0: literally he's like put on like the dubstep tunes <laughs> at like drink three and he's like i'm just feeling the vibe and everyone's like what the
1: hell what the hell oh yeah I- okay well which is um well would is like top tunes be if he was given the orcs chord
0: See, it's difficult because early in the night, I think we're talking about the kind of boy who would be popping on a bit of Oasis and be like, you guys might
1: not have heard of this band kind of novel. Oh my god, he would definitely do that. He would definitely be like, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of them, but like, here's some Tame Impala.
0: Oh, my God. Literally that. I don't want to sound novel right now, but uh, you guys might like to listen to a bit of Nirvana. Kirk is <laughs> quite an interesting guy.
1: Uh, <laughs> and then by the end, he's like, I'm sorry, but can I request some Cindy Law for please? I don't I know. Just... I feel like he would get like really, really fun. Uh, like I said, maybe three or four drinks. And then by maybe drink six or seven, he'd suddenly be like unbelievably emotional. And he'd be that person who you get caught in a conversation with at the house party. And you're trying to like make eyes of your friend over their shoulder being like, please save me from talking about like mortality and the afterlife with the stranger.
0: Oh. I just feel like he would be exhausting and Mm -hmm. i feel like as well he would be the kind of person who in your seminar would turn up and would either not talk at all at which point you'd be like for goodness sake uh this is a group project or he would not stop talking Mm. and be like oh i'm devil's advocate and you'd be like
1: "Oh, uh, yeah yeah. there's the original devil's advocate He's like, not
0: to be a self-advocate, but you're all superficial. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> then at the beginning, is when he's like, oh, I'm going to run away from school, he's like, mm. oh, I failed all my classes except English. Like, he's definitely that person that's like, I'm really radical purely because I'm a man who is studying English literature. And it's a bit like, okay. Yeah, I
0: think I had just reached the point at the end of this book with Holden Coulfield where I was like, we're not going to get on you and I
1: i'll um, be inviting you to my
0: my party. events so it was delightful to talk
1: to you jess thank you abby uh but before we go uh how can they find us on the socials jessica curry we are did the reading pod on all social media and you can also email us at did at gmail.com and please rate, review and subscribe (laughs) on wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: Fabulous. All right. See you next week when we'll be reading Fahrenheit 451.
1: Thank you for listening.